So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a delight and a joy to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Father, thank you for your words this morning. May our hearts and minds be open and attentive to all that you wish to say to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder where you, where you go to find peace. Where do you go to find peace? My, my guess is that most of us, when we, when we want to find somewhere, when we want to find peace, we find somewhere peaceful. So we go somewhere that is kind of quiet, uh, we sort of go for a walk in the countryside or we go and sit in the sauna, that's what I used to do, or you, you find a place where there is, um, there's an absence of the things that um, cause you conflict or an absence of the things that disturb your lives. But actually, if you look for, if you try and find peace through your circumstances, you'll very rarely find it because our circumstances are usually not very peaceful. Um, an artist some years ago, or two artists, were asked to go and paint pictures of, that would depict peace. And so these two artists uh, went off, and then after a while they came back with the, with the paintings that they had pictured that for them depicted peace. And the first artist came back with his picture, and it was a, it was a lovely scene up in the mountains, and it was a lake high up in the mountains. The lake was surrounded by mountains, they were snow-capped, and the lake was, it was a flat calm. It was like a mill pond. There wasn't a ripple on the surface of the lake. And um, the trees that he painted, you could see that there was no wind blowing. Everything was still. And he said, that's my 
that's what peace uh, looks like for me. And then the other artist came back and he'd painted something quite different. He painted a picture of a waterfall and there was water cascading down the side of this uh, mountainside, uh, crashing into this basin of water at the bottom and there's spray going everywhere and the, and the, 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 the sort of water at the bottom is foaming and, uh, and you could just, you know, obviously it's a picture, but you could hear the, the noise and the commotion of this waterfall crashing into the water below. And uh, by the side of the waterfall, the artist had painted a tree and uh, some of the branches of the tree were overhanging the waterfall and uh, were being soaked with a spray that was coming off the, the waterfall and it's, as it crashed into the water below. And on the end of one of the branches, there was a little bird. Uh, and the little bird was asleep. Because the little bird was at peace, even in the midst of the chaos and the noise and the commotion. And the artist said, he said, that's peace. He said, it's something that you can find, not because there's, there's an, it's the absence of something. Uh, it's the presence of something. And, uh, and, I, and I love that story and I love that picture because if we try and find peace through our circumstances, we'll very rarely find it. Because most of the time, most, a lot of what's going on in our lives is not particularly peaceful. Uh, you can find those brief moments where you forget all the stuff that's going on and you blot out everything that's going on that's causing you not to be at peace. But most of the time, it's not like that, is it? Most of the time... We have concerns. Most of the time we have anxieties. Most of the times we live with things that we long for, that rob us of peace. So how do we find peace? Where do we find peace from? Well, our Bible reading this morning, I, I just, I love, I love all the, the detail of scripture and I love all the, just, I was, I was, I was preparing this week and just thinking this would make, you know, make such a good drama. The whole thing is so is so dramatic. You've got these sort of personal stories and then these kind of big picture stories. And the couple at the heart of this reading this morning, Zechariah and Elizabeth, at one level, they're, you know, they've, they've got everything to be peaceful about. They, they are truly blessed. Zechariah is a descendant of Aaron. He's a priest. He's incredibly blessed to be a priest as part of the people of God. But he's doubly blessed because his wife is also a descendant of Aaron. If you're a descendant of Aaron, you were a priest. You were blessed. But if you married someone who was also a descendant of Aaron, uh, on that priestly line, you were, kind of, you were doubly blessed. They're an incredibly blessed couple. And we read that they were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations, and, you know, blameless. And then on top of that, Zechariah is chosen by Lot to go and offer incense. Now, um, roughly, there are about 20,000 priests in Israel, which is a lot of priests, and more than were commonly needed. So all the priests would be involved in three festivals in the year. They'd all be involved in Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But the rest of the time, uh, the priests were divided into 24 divisions, who would each have sort of two weeks of the year allotted to them. So if you're still with me, at any one time, about a thousand, roughly about a thousand priests would be on duty any one week. So Zechariah, in his section, is one of about a thousand priests who are on duty on the temple, in the temple during this week. And then they take lots to decide which of these nearly a thousand priests will be chosen to go and offer incense 
in the heart of the temple. So you could be a priest and go your whole life and never be chosen. But Zechariah is chosen by Lot. So this is a blessed family. But they carry a very great heartache. And the great heartache that Zechariah and Elizabeth carry is that they have no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were well on in years. So it's not just that they carry the heartache of not being able to have children. They carry the kind of the knowledge that actually they're never going to have children. And that's a real heartache. And, you know, for us in in our culture and in our society, you know, often for women not to be able to have children, it's a great it's a great heartache to live with that longing. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's, it's even more serious. The, the Jewish rabbis had a list, of, a list of people who were excommunicated by God. A list of people that, you know, that God would be at a distance from. And the list began with a man who, had, who didn't have a wife. And then second on the list was a man who had a wife but had no children. So... So Zechariah and Elizabeth, at one level, they're, you know, they're incredibly blessed. They're of this priestly line and Zechariah's chosen by Lot. And yet they have this incredible heartache, which is not just about not having children, but it's also that, well, if you can't have children, well, there's something, you've done something wrong. It's kind of a curse. If God hasn't blessed you with children, well, then there's a question mark over your character. There's a question mark over over who you are, people will look at you and think, well, well, you must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. If God hasn't blessed you with children, so Zechariah, they live with that. So there's this, there's this heartache, which means they live their lives without that kind of peace. There's that longing. There's that longing for something that hasn't been fulfilled And so even though there's so much in their lives, which is a great blessing, they have this heartache in every day and every day that goes past. And as the years go past for, you know, for Elizabeth, it's like, well, this is never going to happen. And I guess for many of us, we live with that. We live with that kind of heartache and live with that longing. You know, I know so many of us, we have things in our lives that we haven't turned out as we hoped they would. Things that we we wish would be different and we have this longing, oh Lord, you know, oh Lord, when, how long? You know, so many of God's people in the Old Testament, particularly through the, through the exile, you read it so often in the Psalms, you know, they have that longing, how long, oh Lord? How long, oh Lord? We, we live lives that are devoid of peace because our circumstances are, un, are unpeaceful. And yet Zechariah and Elizabeth, even though they, they carry this, this longing and this heartache, they're still faithfully serving the Lord. They haven't walked away. It's one of the, the lovely things in this story is that despite their heartache and despite the lack of peace because of their circumstances, Zechariah still faithfully serves. He hasn't walked away from being a priest. He still serves God. And um, it's such a lovely thing that that even when we live lives where our circumstances mean we are, we've lost our peace, actually we still, we still turn up. We still turn up. We still turn up to follow the Lord. If, if we only ever followed the Lord when we felt peaceful, there wouldn't be many of us here on a Sunday. We don't serve the Lord because our circumstances give us peace. We serve the Lord because actually when we come into his presence, actually that's where we find peace. I remember um, quite a few years ago now, a, 
uh, former colleague and his wife, they lost a baby um, during pregnancy. And, uh, and, it, and it was a very tragic circumstance because if they'd been given better medical advice, they, they might not have lost the baby. So it was, a, it was a kind of a, it was a, a, just a heart, heartbreaking circumstance uh, and the baby was lost during pregnancy. But then they had, they had a funeral. We had a funeral service for the baby that had been lost. Uh, and I remember, and they were, you know, absolutely heartbroken as a family. But I remember, I remember them standing up at the beginning of this service at a, t- a time of worship and, um, and just saying, look, we are, we are utterly heartbroken, but we are going to worship because that's what we do. We're going to worship because that's what we do. Uh, we don't worship God because everything in our lives is rosy. We worship God because he is who he is and he's worthy of our worship. And so uh, Zechariah, he turns up at the temple and he worships and he, he's going to serve even though he carries this heartbreak and this longing. And, uh, and it's such a testimony when you, you just, you know, and I know, you know, looking around the room, I know so many of us carry, you know, just heartbreak and that kind of longing. And yet, you know, we're still here. Well, why are we still here? We're still here because God is who he is. He doesn't change. And, and God is at work. You know, we just sang that song before. You know, he's the way maker. He's at work in our circumstances. And I love that God chooses this you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth with their longing and their heartache. And he's, he's working his purposes of salvation out through them. And it's just such a sign of hope for us that actually when we have these longings and this heartbreak, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten us. It doesn't mean that God has stepped away from us. Even in these seasons, God is still at work and, and God has seen Elizabeth and Zechariah, he's heard their prayer. And so the angel says, you know, he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. So in their, in their kind of immediate circumstances, God acts. And you can imagine the, the, you know, just the difference in their lives when it's discovered that Elizabeth is pregnant because they've lived for so many years with this cloud hanging over them of, well, you know, you know you've, you have sinned. You must have sinned because you've not been able to have children. There's something wrong with you. They've lived with that. And suddenly this cloud is lifted and, and they have peace. They have peace. But it's in this, in this moment that as they discover their peace that actually God is, is at work in order to bring us peace. In order to bring peace to the world because they're... Son, John, is the forerunner. Verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you, but many will rejoice because of his birth. Many will rejoice because John is John the Baptist. He's the one. He will be the forerunner. He was the one who will stand uh, as Elijah, the, the, the people of God. They know that Elijah is going to come back before the Messiah comes. He's going to prepare the way. And uh, uh, and John the Baptist, this, this Elijah, Elijah figure, verse 17, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, in the spirit of Elijah. One of the things we, when we read about the, uh, Elijah in the Old Testament, Elijah was absolutely devoted to his Lord. He knew that God was God. 
He knew that God was sovereign. And uh, he went through some difficult times in his life, but always he knew. He knew that God was who he was. And he was devoted to serving the Lord, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It's interesting that, isn't it? Why, does, why is it the hearts of the fathers that needed to be turned to the children? Often we, we kind of think about it the other way around, don't we? It's our, you know, we want our children to grow up in the knowledge of the Lord. We want it kind of be that way around. But he says, no, the, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children. What is it that... You know, what Jesus talks about, you can only inherit the kingdom of God if you come as children. Because children trust. They trust, un, you know, they trust us as parents unquestioningly and unthinkingly. You know, I remember when, I, you know, when our kids were younger and we would say, you know, you know get dressed, get in the car, we're going to go and visit somebody. They never questioned that we were going to do that. They were like, all right, yes, we'll get dressed and we'll get in the car and we'll go. They never kind of, you know... Um, question and said well are you sure are you sure we're going to visit this person how do you know you know they don't do that children don't do that they they just yeah all right most of the time but um have their moments i'm sure but uh but it's, it's that kind of unquestioning and you know as adults we become so so questioning and so cynical and so disbelieving and so and so we get in that place of well well, God, actually, are you, can you, are you going to come through for me? Are you really going to do this? Are you really going to be faithful to your promises? And uh, when, when I look back over my life and the, the seasons that I've been through, and, you know, you know my, mostly know my story and just the stuff that I've been through. And, and I was just, as I was preparing this, I was just reflecting on, you know, in those difficult seasons, where did I find peace? Where did my peace come from? If I, if I looked at the circumstances, that was when I, you know, I was just in despair and in, in panic. And, and my moments of genuine peace came in the moments when I, I acknowledged that God was bigger than my circumstances and that God was in control and that one day everything would make sense. And it was in those moments that I found genuine peace. Uh, when I looked at the circumstances, uh, that, was, that was when peace just evaporated. And, and that's the reality. It's, uh, we find peace not in the absence of commotion and conflict and, and, and chaos and the things that disturb us. Like that little bird on the end of the branch in the waterfall, we find peace in the presence of God who is with us. And that's why this child John is born, because he's the forerunner of Jesus who comes as the Prince of Peace. And, and how can we be sure? I love verse 19, where, um, 18 and 19, where Zechariah, quite understandably, is like, well, you know, how, how can I be sure of this? And, you know, we have those moments because we kind of think, well, you know, he says, I'm old. He says, my wife's old. You know, we're, we're past having children. How can I be sure of this? And, uh, and the angel I just have this picture of Gabriel rolling his eyes. He's like, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. It's like, you know, I stand in the presence of God. If God speaks, it happens. You know, last, um, last week when we were thinking about um, uh, 
uh, hope and faith from Hebrews 11 and that, that lovely chapter that begins with, you know, by faith, we believe that, you know, God spoke creation into being, brought something out of nothing, uh, that when God speaks, it happens. And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Uh, but now uh, you're going to be silent and not be able to speak until it happens. So, so you can stop your whinging and your moaning until <laughs> the baby's born. I just, uh, there's, there's, there's so much humour in the Bible, I love it. But when God speaks, it happens, which is why this book is so, is so important, because God has spoken. And when we set this book aside, when we stop following it, Everything falls apart. I was just, um, I was reflecting this week on, I don't know, I've wrote in the bulletin if anyone read it. Uh, just reflecting on, you know, the census results saying that, you know, for the first time in 1500 years, you know, 50% of, you know, of, 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 of people in England do not, you know, and um, uh, saying, well, you know, we're not, you know, we're not Christian. And, uh, and suddenly there's sort of, um, uh, you know, great panic of, oh no. It's terrible. God has spoken. Uh, what we're seeing in our, as I, as I wrote in my little reflection, is it's a kind of collapse of a cultural Christianity that has come about because, as a society, we've put this book to one side and we've forgotten that God has spoken. And it, and it leads to chaos. It just leads to chaos. And we're seeing that in our, you know, in our culture. And one of the biggest markers of that. Um, is the search for identity because no one knows who they are anymore because no one knows that they're created in the image of God and that's where our meaning and our, and our purpose and our, and our identity comes from and, and so once you, once you put to one side that we're created in the image of God and that's where our identity comes from we then you have to find your identity from somewhere else and, and that's what we see in our society at the moment is everyone's trying to work out who they are and self-create uh, and the problem with self-creation is how can you ever be sure you've got it right? And so, and so that's what we see in society. You see people recreating themselves over and over again because they try one thing and that doesn't satisfy. So then they try another self-creation and that's how it goes on. God has spoken. God has spoken. And God still speaks. And he speaks through this, through this book and, and this word. And so as I often say, it's a... You know, if you're new to the chapel community, you know, I always say that, um, you know, everyone is welcome to walk through the doors. You know, we welcome anyone who, I don't know why I'm saying this, but there we go. I've just sort of gone off on a tangent, as I often do. It's, but, to say, <laughs> so, but it's just so important that, you know, as a, as a church community, we welcome everyone who walks through those doors. Everyone is welcome because God's heart is a God of love. But we're a community of people who, who want our lives to conform to what God has said. And we're all on a journey. So I'm not there. You're not there. None of us are there. But in this, in this church, this is our foundation. And so we are devoted to this book. God has spoken. That's why it's a holy Bible. It's a holy library. That's why I don't put my Bible on the floor. I, don't, I, know, I know some of you do, but... No condemnation. I don't like seeing Bibles on the floor because it's a holy book. And actually, there needs to be something about the way we treat it. 
that it's a holy book. It's God's word. So um, you're all going to be panicking now. Who's on the floor? Great. You'll be surreptitiously picking it up. And say, um, I know some of you fall asleep and drop it on the floor, but that's a different thing. So uh, we won't name names. But, um, but, you know, God has spoken. God has spoken. That's why we can be certain. Let me just... Um, I just want to read some words from, uh, from Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Because Jesus comes, John is the forerunner, he's the one who prepares the way for Jesus to come. And it's Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. And how is it that Jesus gives us peace? Well, it's because he went to the cross and, and died for us and, 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 and reconciled us to the Father. That's where we go, peace. And Paul writes in Colossians uh, this about Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's where we find peace. So as we sort of begin to draw to a close, we're just going to, we're going to stay sitting, we're just going to sing a song. We don't need to sing it, you might just want to sit quietly, but it may be that you're here this morning and actually you're not feeling particularly peaceful because of the things that are going on um, in your lives and in the things that are troubling you. And where we find peace is not by getting rid of all those things, because ultimately we'll never get rid of all of them. Where we find peace is by inviting Jesus, the Prince of Peace, into the midst of all of those things.